Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I'm a program director with Peace Catalyst International here in the Washington, D.C. area. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Yep, my name's Keith Giles. My wife, Wendy, and I are working with Peace Catalyst here in El Paso, Texas. And yeah, so uh, I want to quickly say, too, if you if you enjoy the Peace Catalyst podcast, um, we would like to ask you to do us a favor and take some time to rate and review us on um, whatever platform you are listening on. Uh, it would really mean a lot to us. Uh, it helps boost our visibility. It encourages others to give us a shot, you know, take a listen to the podcast. So um, we would really appreciate if you would do that. And uh, we have also been doing uh, every episode um, a piece quote of the week. And I just this morning ran across this quote. And uh, I thought it would make a wonderful peace quote for this episode. So uh, here it is. Yeah. The quote is, we aren't Christians because we pray for our nation. Every religion does that. We are Christians because we pray for our enemies. And uh, I love that quote. It's an anonymous quote. Uh, it, was, uh, it was posted on um, a website called Rival Nations, which I recommend. You should check it out. They have a lot of good posts there. Uh, but yeah, what a great... I just really love that. What a wonderful reminder. Um, it's, it's, it's like kind of, I guess, riffing off Jesus saying, right, you know, if you love those who love you in return, what credit is that to you? Uh, if we want to be people that are the, uh, if we want to be called the children of God and we want to love in a way that sets us apart. Uh, we do that by, by doing this uncommon, unexpected thing, which is to pray for our enemies. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good because I I know that we, you know, tend to kind of understand our Christian faith as being very interwoven with our national identity, but Jesus calls us to, like you said, pray for others and pray for other countries, even our enemies. And I think that is so (laughs) countercultural for us as Americans, as American Christians. Um, but following Jesus will take us outside of our national identities too. So Yes, absolutely. In fact, it reminds me of another quote, a uh, similar quote. Uh, I can't remember who said it. Something like, um, you know, Jesus never commanded you to love your nation, but he did command you to love your neighbors and your enemies. Mm, um, and again, well, that's a similar kind of a, a similar quote to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's such an important thing to do that. Um, yeah, and it's so easy to get our, our Christian faith entangled with our, uh, you know, nationalism, tribalism, kind of that way of us and them thinking. And Jesus mm-hmm. really does, I think, challenge us to to break outside of that box. Because I think the problem with nationalism, one of the problems, one of the many problems with nationalism uh, for Christians is that, um, you know, it kind of, uh, it kind of deludes us into this thinking that basically, you know, our nation is quote unquote Christian and other nations are evil and there are enemies and stuff. But, but, you know, what Jesus tries to show us is that the kingdom of God is every tongue and tribe and nation, right? Um, The only holy nation on earth is the body of Christ. And um, that transcends all national borders, you know, right. It's such an important thing to remember. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think we can still have love for our country, of course, like, you know, we love it. And that's why we want to improve certain things and and foster peace and all of this. But yeah, I think it's about like, where does your allegiance lie? And is it with God? Or is it with your country? And yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of ties in with our current series because we're talking with Christians who are pursuing shalom in their communities and walking out their peacemaking um, informed by their faith in Jesus. And a lot of that looks like, you know, reaching across those different board, even national borders um, to reach out to different communities and bring peace and reconciliation and um, And, you know, these conversations can really help us to understand how we can change the world around us and become better peacemakers ourselves. And a huge part of that is definitely, you know, following Jesus beyond um, 
our current context and, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And uh, continuing in this uh, series, which I've really been loving, um, we are in this episode interviewing Danielle Blevins and Kalita Lloyd of Mission Reconcile. This is a faith-based nonprofit seeking racial reconciliation. And currently they're partnering with churches in New Orleans, Washington, D.C., Birmingham, um, and really across the Deep South to engage Christian communities in conversations about race. So great to have you with us, Kalita and Danielle. Love to hear a little bit about you, who you are, and um, how you got started with Mission Reconcile. Thanks so much, Becca, for having us. Um, Mission Reconcile was founded in Washington, D.C., if you will, um, in 2017, um, in October, and with a vision and a guide from God to start it or launch it in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mission Reconcile is a faith-based racial reconciliation nonprofit created to bring together predominantly single-race culture churches to talk about race, racism, and create organic relationships. And so at the heart of it, it's um, acknowledging where we are as a Christian faith community in um, very homogenous environments, and even those who are multicultural and multiracial um, how do we lean in more to the conversation surrounding race and racism and how our faith has impacted that? Um, and so, yeah, so I live in New Orleans and lead that work and excited for what has happened and even more excited for what can become of it even more. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. So in the scope of your work, um, you, so you, you mentioned you work to bring uh, a single Sort of like, and I guess another way of saying it is churches that are predominantly one race, like white churches or black churches, or, and and um, bringing them together. So how do you do that, and how do you bring them together? In what way? Yeah, so um, it's exactly what you just said. And so a predominantly black church or a predominantly white church, uh, we would invite them to partner with one another. And that invitation is through, um, we have two programmings or main programmings, if you will, um, but one core program actually brings the churches together. It's called Path to Reconciliation. Um, Path to Reconciliation invites those churches to partner with one another in kind of a three-part series that allows them to visit each other's churches, do a pulpit swap um, with the pastors. So um, one pastor would bring a sermon or the message at the other church's um, service, and that message is one of racial reconciliation. So it's very intentional of what that message is about. Um, and then also, it also... It, gives people the opportunity to have empathy with one another in going to another person's church. And so there's people who haven't been to a predominantly black church and there's people who haven't been to a predominantly white church. And um, when I, when I sit down with pastors, there's pastors who haven't been invited to speak at a predominantly white church as um, an African-American pastor. Um, and so it kind of crosses those, those kind of, abnormals that have happened within the Christian faith and invites them in deeper conversation. And then it culminates where the churches come together um, with kind of a activity surrounding cultural awareness, also a moderated panel with the pastor, because it's important for the pastor to know the heart of their congregation and the congregation to know the heart of their pastor when it comes to racial reconciliation and what that means. Um, and being able to come around to have conversations and discussions about their city, about their community, and what we do traditionally is around multicultural food. Um, it looks a little different in, in the world of COVID, and so we get to mm -hmm. shift that to provide a virtual effect platform, um, but that's kind of the core program in a nutshell. And so, um, yeah, it invites a lot of opportunities, but um, there's also challenges with it, too. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think that's so great. I, I think the idea of having a, a pulpit swap is pretty cool. I can't imagine um, it would be a shock for a, an all white church to have a black uh, pastor deliver a sermon or vice versa. I mean, that's, that would be a pretty interesting um, switch, but you mentioned there are some challenges. I'm curious what, what are some of those challenges you run into? 
oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't bring it up for us to talk about it necessarily, but (laughs) we have to talk about it. We have to. Um, So the challenges that um, kind of we've run into is there are not many pastors who have relationships across racial lines. Um, So when I have been sitting down with pastors and having the conversation of this partnership and and how this can begin to help start the conversation around race and racism within your congregation, you know, who can you partner with? And um, they don't know another person um, to to talk with or to be in a relationship with. And so what I quickly recognize is that if the pastors aren't in relationship with one another across racial lines, like your congregants likely are not either. And so what does that mean for the faith and um, for the movement of racial justice and issues and talking about race and racism? And so that's kind of one um, big challenge um, for sure. Um, And then we we have COVID as a challenge, but um, that's one main one. And so we've been able to adapt and help to allow pastors to build relationships with one another by having different programmings. But um, yeah, that's one of the kind of big challenges. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine this work is definitely, um, it's not easy. (laughs) Um, And I'm curious to hear, so Kalita, you're in New Orleans and um, Danielle, I know you're in DC. What are some of the maybe some of the differences or nuances or things that you notice that might be different across those two cities or um, if at all? Well, I think, well, first of all, thank you, Becca and Keith for having us here today. Uh, it's, I was you know excited when you guys reached out. Yeah. So we are, are thankful for you and for the work that you're doing. Thank you. One of the things I would notice in just in talking to different people, talking to different leaders of faith, Congregants, I think when we're talking about a more metropolitan area like D.C., people are excited to hear about the work because a lot of us are not from D.C. I'm from Alabama. Kalita's from Florida. And when we're having these conversations, and we have a third member of our group who is from Tennessee. So we're from, you know... I'm what they would call the dirty South. That's where I'm from. That's where, you know, and all of these states that we're really working in are places that would be considered extremely high uh, religious Christian based places with the history of Louisiana Mm -hmm. and their Catholicism backgrounds. You also have, you know, you have the Baptist associations in Tennessee. You have the the fundamentalist movement coming into this area in the mid you know 1950s and 60s. So there's a lot of history, religious history that is is embedded in 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 the South. And I think when we're in as much as most people would probably disagree, DC is still part of that South. DC is still part of that culture that still has a church on every corner. And so I think when you're talking about this and you're talking about transplants who come from places like Kansas or Missouri or Kentucky and they come here and they're like, oh, I thought I was the only one in my town that thought like this. And in a metropolitan place like D.C. that is still Southern, that is still a place where it harkens back to the places that we grew up in the places of faith, but not just the type of words or the way it's lived out is lived out differently for different cultures, different reasons, different, not, and not just here in America, but also internationally, you get a little bit of a a sense that something is different and people want to make a change. Like I think that that is in the nature of the type of people that come to DC. Like they want to make a change. They want to make a difference in the world. And so when it comes to being here in D.C. and talking to people in other places, they're like, yeah, like, they're like, I've noticed it, but I've never been empowered to change it. And so empowering people in other places in their community to make a change is very different than 
when you're having these conversations here in D.C. than when you're having them in other places. Because here in D.C., people are like, oh, yeah, let's jump in. Let's 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 do something. We, we, we feel that we are empowered to make the change when we're here, mm-hmm. whereas in other places, they don't feel as empowered or as strongly empowered to make the changes where they are. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess I'm curious also about, and, you know, and it's really, I love hearing, you know, kind of like the way you initially, how you bring black churches and white churches together and, and do a pulpit swap and, and, and those kinds of things. But I guess what I'm curious about is once you have begun, once you've connected these congregations, once you have put these pastors in relationship and connection with one another, how do you address really the fundamental problems and issues of racism and especially within the church? I mean, is it something that you, is it something you do systematically like, okay, now we have a class or a program or, or, or do you allow it to sort of, um, to develop organically just in, once you get them talking and once you get them in relationship do you just allow those things to, uh, emerge? I'm just curious how, how, how do you proceed? Yeah. So, um, I love that question. So when, um, when Mission Reconcile was birthed, it was really an opportunity to not have, um, if you will, a racial equity training or, uh, you know, a, a training on racism or anything of that nature. It was really about, or it still is really about heart work, right? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for our Christian faith to even enter this space? Because we were like not in it, <laughs> yeah. um, and still many ways we're, we're not um, as Christians, right? Um, but very much changes has come in um, this past summer with the killing of George Floyd. Um, yeah. Tragic, but very you know conscious awakening that has been been good and beneficial. And so I say that Mission Reconciled's work is about planting seeds, about starting the conversation. And so we're not really in the quote unquote business of um, giving a one-on-one on what is race and racism, although that does come up in conversation, that does come up in talking about these topics surrounding racial justice and our faith and in Christianity inevitably, but it's not intentionally that. And so um, how we do address it, though, is having conversations around those issues. And so we've had conversations on um, being able to talk about mass incarceration, um, being able to talk about voting, um, being able to talk about implicit bias and how that connects to loving our neighbor, um, being able to talk about having conversations on peacemaking. Um, And so those are just kind of the ways that we do it. It's more topical. Um, and very much conversation based. It's like, we just want you to get talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then see what organically um, happens because we know that the Holy Spirit is powerful when we really do come together and unify in um, understanding whether it's disagreement or, or um, agreement. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of vision. Danielle, do you want to maybe add to that or? Yeah. Um. I think that, you know, I think when it comes to, you know, she's right. You know, it is, it really starts with a conversation. Someone who looks different than you, someone who thinks differently from you, someone who comes from a different place than you. And that is really the core of starting the conversation. But there is a lot of work that is involved in it. And there is a lot of heart work and hard work that goes along with learning about it like this is just the beginning this isn't the end-all be-all and one of the things that we found when Kalita was talking about pastors don't have those relationships they want to have those relationships they just don't Mm -hmm. and so we actually kind of act as a catalyst at the beginning but the relationship and the maintenance is up to them so it's not just about you know and and I you know I'm like I said, I'm from Alabama, born and raised. I, I get it honestly. We don't want people coming in telling us that we're doing things wrong. We don't want outsiders right. telling us. So <laughs> I'm very sensitive to that. And so you have to get buy in from your pastors 
because without them, the congregation, like they are the shepherds for their congregation. Some lead from the front, but some also lead from behind. So we don't just limit our conversation to pastors, but they are the catalyst for getting the buy-in from their congregation. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I love that you all are serving as that catalyst. And I know I've attended a few Mission Reconcile events and um, I just love how even, you know, during COVID, you all create space for people to come together at the the congregation level too and have those conversations about um, implicit bias and, you know, how we see those who are different from us. Um, I'm curious, like for both of you on a personal level, like if you ever come to... Um, if you ever kind of come to a place of hitting a wall or struggling with continuing in this kind of uh, peacemaking or reconciliation and kind of, you know, how does your faith inform um, the work that you do and sustain you and, and keep you going? Yeah, I think that's a really good question um, because it's, it's like the, how do you have self-care doing this work? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um you do. I think you 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 must have it. Um, I'll be very transparent with you is that I have a vested interest in it as a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very a vested interest that um, the power of what I think my faith is as a Christian um, has to actually dismantle and like end racism in America in particular. Um, and I have a vested interest in that manifesting itself, right? And so, to be honest, that's motivation enough. <laughs> um, but being the 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 being a leader in that space and um, carrying it, what um, one of my coaches has said is like um, not making it personal, right? Being able to know that you know God is ultimately in control, and so my faith. Be- really is strengthened by doing this work, right? My faith is really increased by doing this work because I'm, I'm quickly and always um, aware that uh, I'm not in control and I'm not who's going to bring about the victory, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just um, the hands and feet of Jesus, if you will, and God to, to help create the spaces um, to make something happen. And so when I just kind of step back and think about it in that fashion, um, it kind of gets me back down to um, a good space, but you do have to balance it. Um, but um, I'm, I'm motivated. I believe in the church. Um, the church has just been very integral in my life personally. Um, but there's been times that, you know, I felt like the church was silent and hence Mission Reconciles birth. But um I, I think the church is powerful and, you know, as you know, the church is you and I. Um, yeah. And so I think we are yeah. powerful beings that can do great things. And, and to be honest, I just really love people, you know, and so as, um, as, you know, special as we can be, um, people are amazing. And um, I believe if we bring them together, we can do some great things. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. Danielle, how, how would you respond to that question? I think anyone who says this work is easy is not being transparent. It is, it is hard. And I say that as just someone who has a regular nine to five. Who, you know, I use my, my nine to five to pay for my five to nine activities. That is, that, that's my life. And I would think that, you know, you do set up boundaries, you do do self-care, but understanding, you know, to echo what Kalita said, though, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's we can only do so much and we we leave it in the hands of God to, you know, to do what he wants to do, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. To quote uh, another pastor is, you know, God wants you to do what he's called you to do more than you want to do what he's called you to do. And I think that that is important when it comes to understanding that we're not super women, even on international women's day, 
that's really not what we're called to be. <laughs> we can't do it all. And that's okay. And I think that there's a sense of humility yeah. that you take that on that mantle of I'm not above rest. I'm not above stepping away and taking a breather because at the end of the day, again, it's not in my hands, but he has called us to do the work. And that's all I can do is to do the work and know that he is actually the one preparing our steps, setting up these divine appointments. And I can be intentional about it, but it's still not up to me. I can't move someone's heart, but I can, you know, I can set up the meeting. I can take the call. I can, you know, keep myself energized in a way that still gives him glory. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love your, your, your comment, Danielle, about how, um, you know, God wants this even more than you do, you know, and I think it's so important to recognize that when we're doing this kind of work. Um, Cause sometimes you can get frustrated and you kind of, kind of feel like it's all on you. And it sometimes just to take a step back and recognize that this work of peacemaking and reconciliation um, it starts with Christ, right? It's, it was, it's God's heart. And uh, he's, he was the first one to do it, to do that work. And now he's, he's handed it off to us, but we're not working alone. Yeah. And it's something. So, so just, I think knowing that the, that kind of work is something that God desires it even greater than we do. God loves the people that we're working with even more than we do. Um, it kind of, it kind of does give some hope, like, you know, we may not get there tomorrow, but we're going to get there. And uh, because it, and we know that because it's something that's in God's heart, it's part of his desire and his will. And we are putting our hands to something that is saying yes to that. And I think that that's just a really powerful reminder. I really thank you for that. Yeah, I think that the, and I think that that's what that's true with anything um, when it comes to a lot of things that we do. And I think that we're just in this moment of time where this is this is the unfinished business. This is some unfinished business we have to tackle in this moment. And, and it's, it, it's not going to, I don't, yeah. I'm not clairvoyant, um, but it, this is a journey and people have been on this journey much longer than you and I have been alive combined. And I think that that's, and like, you know, <laughs> understanding that arc of history is that we are just, you know, we're part of we're part of the journey. We are not the end all be all of that journey. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes sorry to yeah, continue I on. That. I think that that's what makes good peacemakers. We're not it's not just about us. We're bringing we're we're part of a journey and we're bringing people along with us on this journey and bringing people on who can carry on this journey. Because the fight for it's not just and it's not just yeah. about the fight of equality and equity. It's about the fight of maintaining this uneasy balance that no person is better than another and that we all have certain not just legal rights, but human rights to be able to live and exist together. And if part of us are hurting, we have the responsibility to care for that wound and bind up those wounds in a way that heals us all together. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I think taking a step back and recognizing that perspective that, you know, it is a long, it is a long journey and, um, but uh, recognizing our place in it is so important. And then I think also recognizing how we are transformed in the work ourselves is, is also very, very key. Um, like I, I experienced something similar when my, my family used to work with uh, people living in poverty and people that were homeless in Orange County, California. And, um, and that was one of the kind of the shocking things I recognized, you know, in the beginning it was all about, well, we're coming here to, to, uh, you know, we've got the answers, we've got the resources, we're here to, to kind of fix them or help them. And then, the shocking thing was recognizing how much I was transformed in the, in the process myself and really how that's kind of part of the plan. I think um, the way God works it is that, you know, the, even, even if we think we're the ones coming with all the answers and the resources, we ourselves suddenly recognize that, yes, we have some growth and learning and uh, humbling and 
you know, things that God is doing in us, even as we are doing this work uh, that's so close to his heart. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you guys had mentioned a little bit of this, and I don't know if you if you've got, if you've cracked the code any more than we have, but, you know, um, almost every interview we've done, you know, someone has brought up the fact that COVID has um, kind of set us back a little bit in some of our efforts to bring people together, usually over meals or over a table for conversation and that kind of thing. And um, you mentioned you had come up with a few uh, workarounds or solutions for that. I'm just curious what those are, because there may be people listening that are also wondering how they can, um, you know, modify or adapt to, uh, you know, some of the COVID restrictions we're under right now. Well, I mean, technology has been the one of the biggest ways to bring people together in this time. You know, we don't necessarily have to be on the ground in people's faces. And I think for a lot of the work that we've done over the past year in adjusting, we've done book clubs, we've done conversation ons where we partner with a particular church and we will have a conversation on a particular topic. And we've been able to do that shifting from in-person gatherings to online, whether through Zoom or other technology, that has been one of the ways that we can still stay connected in this disjointed time. I mean, it's almost been almost to a year, but I think that over the time like we, we kind of got this rhythm kind of going of, yeah, we're living through a pandemic, something that our, our great grandparents probably lived through that they didn't feel the need to pass on to us about how they survived during that time. But that's just because they never thought it would happen again. And maybe, you know, in a hundred years, our, you know, descendants might say the same thing about us. But I, I think that that has been the thing that, you know, we learn from history. So we don't repeat history, even though we do. And then we be, we change in order to not repeat history ourselves. So I, I think that that has been one of the biggest ways technology has really aided us. And then, you know, like I said, not just Zoom, but telephone calls or uh, we've gotten back to basics of taking our, as I like to joke, our government mandated walks. Because that was the only thing we could do. That was the only essential thing we could do, especially in last March or April. So I think that that has just been uh, this type of renaissance if you will of, of technology of, of how you connect but then also understanding that not everyone can just easily hop on to a zoom call yeah I think that's um such a good point about yeah all of everything you said we can we can still connect virtually and maybe we need to take breaks from that at times but the power of technology can still help us to bring people together and catalyze those connections. Um, And I know you all are doing that really well. So uh, I admire that about you all and um, want to let our listeners know how can they learn more about Mission Reconcile and and how can they support you all? We would love for people to um, visit our website at www.imareconciler.org. Um, sometimes it's challenging for people to spell reconcile it, but they got it. Um, <laughs> and um, also, I think you can actually find us at missionreconcile.org too. And so um, either way, it'll, it'll land you in the same spot. Uh, we would love if you're able to um, follow us on social media. We're on all platforms, Instagram at I am a reconciler. Uh, we're on Twitter at I am a reconciler and on Facebook at Mission Reconcile. And so, and I think I am, I am a reconciler. And so we would love to see some new followers and connected to this podcast. Um, and because that's where we're able to share our upcoming events and the things that we're having. Also, if you visit our website, we would love if you subscribe to our newsletter or our listserv because um, we communicate that way as well. Um, and if you are so led to and inspired, we would love if you would donate to this work. Um, part of um, this work has been 
um, being sustainable to be able to do this work on a more grand scale. And so, yeah, that's a little um, bit. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kalita and Danielle. This has been an incredible thank you conversation. Thank so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. What an inspiring, uh, these two ladies are just really, uh, just hearing them talk and uh, it's really inspiring to hear what they're doing and the vision that they have and the work that they're doing there. Um, so important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that we can definitely, at least I can definitely be blind to thinking about, you know, a separate segregation within the American church because I think we just become used to communities being segregated, you know, and, and being just within themselves and kind of coming to think that that's like how it's supposed to be almost <laughs> like it can be easy to kind of think that, um, and, and just accept it. So it's really amazing that they're, um, yeah, bringing people into relationship with each other across racial lines and, um, helping these churches to, foster that that reconciliation and, and understanding between um, black and white churches. Yeah, it's funny because I, I, a friend of mine the other day was had a quote, uh, just something that he had said that I wrote it down because it, it stuck stuck with me. And I think it goes to what you're talking about, how mm-hmm. the um, the racial divisions in churches in America, it's, it's so common. Again, we just sort of assume that this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, my, what my friend had said was something like, uh, he says, when a pathology becomes universal, it also becomes invisible. Yeah. And uh, in other words, it's something that it's so pervasive that we just don't notice it anymore. Um, mm. It's a little bit like, here's another analogy. It's a little bit like when you're, when you're driving down the road in a rainstorm and you flick on your windshield wipers. Um, after a few seconds, you don't even notice the windshield wipers, right? You're focused beyond them. You're looking through the windshield. And even though these windshield wipers are constantly, you know, going back and forth in front of your eyes, after a while, you don't even notice them. And in a way, wow. I think that's kind of, it's a similar thing where um, this racial division that we have uh, in, in our churches in America, yeah, it's just something where we've stopped paying attention. We've stopped noticing it. We don't even, I guess this is the thing. We don't even really see it as a problem. Uh, yeah. We just right. sort of see it as what is. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's really important, I think, when it comes to these this question of racial reconciliation, and we know we've already done a few episodes on this, and I, I remember you know, a conversation with uh, Cleo Scott Brown, which was so yeah. wonderful, and some others that we've talked to. And um, yeah, it's just, it's one of these things where on one level, it makes me sad because I feel like, gosh, you know, if the, if the body of Christ can't get this right. If the body of Christ remains divided over this issue of race, race, um, man, it just, uh, kind of makes me sad because <laughs> I, w- I feel like we of all people should be modeling for the rest of the world. And I think we should, we should be modeling for the rest of the world. Um, what unity looks like that there is, we don't play these games of us and them. And we know we talked about a minute ago, we talked about sort of the, um, the division of like sort of the uh, Democrat and Republican or American and whatever, some other country that isn't America, uh, yeah. you know, this us and them way of thinking. And then now to see that it it's something that the church is struggling with um, even within itself right. to say, you know, well, th- this is a black church and this is a Korean church and this is a Vietnamese church and, you know, uh, and this is a white church, you know, and uh, right. yeah, it just, uh, so it's what I really appreciate um, that these ladies are doing this kind of work in the deep South, really where, where this is probably, the problem is probably the most pronounced, um, and doing it in such beautiful ways, just practical ways. I like, I love, um, you know, one, one of the ladies said, uh, was it Danielle? She said, you know, these pastors in the, in the black churches and in the white churches, um, they really want to have relationships with, believers across these racial lines, but they, they don't. And I think it's probably because they just don't know how they don't know how, yeah. You know, you could, you could be a white pastor in the South and you could be convinced that, that this is something that we shouldn't do, but you might feel odd on your own, just sort of like calling up the pastor of a black church and saying, Hey, I'd like to come preach at your church on Sunday. Um, (laughs) That might be odd. So I love that they're providing in this opportunity to bring both sides together, Mm -hmm. find this commonality 
um, and share their pulpits, uh, share their congregations in this way. It's really beautiful. And I, I just love their whole approach to the, to the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so incredible that, you know, through these programs, kind of like what you're saying, it allows people to catalyze those relationships. And then when I think like we're talking about separation between churches across racial groups and and other groups, but I think, you know, what happens is that then we lose sight of, you know, what a different group's like racial groups experiences like, you know, um, with, within the church or within America. And so bringing these pastors together and these congregations together, it helps people to see each other and, and have empathy and connection, um, for different groups and to understand, um, it helps us to understand who each other is (laughs) and build those relationships, which I think is the whole, yeah, like that's the whole key of of what's missing is, um, you know, just not getting, not having spaces to get to know each other. Right. Yes, exactly. And I do, I love this whole idea, you know, they, they they pointed out um, most white pastors have never been asked to to preach at a black church and, and vice versa. Most black pastors have never been asked to speak at a white church. So even just the fact that they, that it even happens, right. <laughs> just the fact that, Hey, you know, this Sunday there's going to be this swap and a white congregation will get to hear, you know, a message from the heart of a black pastor and a black congregation will get to hear the message from the heart of a white pastor. Just, just that um, the act of listening to one another, of welcoming one another, this sense of hospitality, um, this, this, um, I mean, because, you know, I I can't, I would love to be there. I would love to like visit a church where this happens um, Mm -hmm. because I'm sure it's just this beautiful moment of welcome and of of listening, you know, adopting this posture of humility. I mean, like I can't imagine that any pastor would would step into that, that other church's pulpit um, and not have a very strong sense Mm -hmm. of, uh, just wow, what what an honor it is, right? To to stand yeah. in that place and to speak to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And then the other thing I wanted to point out as well, I really love um, just the whole approach that they take yeah. to their ministry. That it's mm-hmm. yeah. I think our tendency sometimes is to want to control everything. <laughs> like I love that they said, you know, we don't have a race uh, like a racism one on one class. Um, because right. those kinds of things that you would cover in a class like that mm-hmm. just naturally come out in the conversations. And so just trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to guide it, that when, that that those questions and answers will come up when they need to, when it's appropriate, you know, yeah. when, when someone asks the question or when right. someone has the recognition uh, mm-hmm. and then they speak it out. Like, I love that. I love just that, that whole ethic uh, of waiting on the Holy Spirit and allowing things to happen naturally and trusting that they will. I I just, I think that's a wonderful way of approaching it. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, they kept, I think both Kalina and Danielle mentioned um, the heart work, which Mm. can only come about, I think, through the kind of work that they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, you could learn, of course, you can learn from a class on racism, but is your heart going to be changed by that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a very Jesus based, uh, principle, you know, like the, like you said, the difference between taking a class, right? So if someone gives you a lecture on these are the problems of racism and this, I mean, again, not that there's no value in that. I mean, sure. I mean, you probably should learn some things. Um, right. <laughs> but, but yeah. I think, you know, if you listen to a lecture and you take some notes and you fold them up and stick them in your Bible, and then six years from now they fall out, and you see them on the floor and you go, oh, yeah, I remember going to that conference six years ago. That was really cool. But if that's all that happened, what's the point? But but now if that same if those same bullet points can come up in conversations with actual people that you're having, you know, a, a meal with or just a conversation with or you're that you're in this dialogue with. And th- then it's like, uh, again, I think this is this Jesus approach because um, Jesus was very much into sort of that dialogue. He, he, he gathered people around meals. He told stories. He, he invited the people to engage, to think about it, right? Like why would, 
you know, I'm thinking about this parable you told Jesus. Why would the father do that with the son? And why would the son behave that way? And well, what does that mean? And by pulling us in, like by it kind of invites us into the conversation in a deeper, more meaningful way. Um, I think it's also like this idea of, you know, casting your pearls before a swine. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in the sense Jesus also uses this idea of, um, you know, blessed, like in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, mm-hmm. they will be, feel, will be filled. And mm-hmm. so it's a difference between throwing information at people, whether they want it or not, and right. and people who are curious, who, who have a question, who want to know, they are hungry for an answer. They're thirsty for a solution. They, they are desperate to understand something. And, right. and, and that can only happen in these kind of situations, I think, that they're, they're creating by bringing these congregations together and these pastors together. Then all of a sudden, when the question comes up, that hunger that for, for, for answers, that thirst for, for righteousness uh, comes up within somebody. And then, then it, then the answer arrives or they, or they get it together. They dig it out of the ground together. Like this, mm-hmm. like this pearl of great price or this treasure in the field, then you own it and you own it in a way that is much more profound and meaningful than if I just gave it to you in three bullets. Right. Wow. That's so good. That's such a good point. And, you know, Kalita talked about that. She said, like, our job is to plant seeds and start these conversations because people aren't currently having these conversations. Yes. So I love it. <laughs> and, you know, that's the whole point is to, to bring people together and to, to start those relationships and start planting those seeds. And I love what you're saying about discovering things together and digging it up together and then getting to own that. I think that is, is such a good point. Yeah. And, you know, they, and I'm, they, they talked about that, um, you know, like specifically, I love, um, I think Kalita was the one that said something about how uh, she says, my faith is increased and strengthened by this work because I'm not in control. Uh, and I'm not the one who's going to bring about this victory. I'm just helping create the spaces for God to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly the right approach. And that, so, you know, if we hope in these conversations and in this podcast to kind of pull out ideas and methods and principles and ways of approaching reconciliation and peacemaking in our own world, in our own communities, mm-hmm. I, I would say, I, I would like to put a spotlight on that right there and say, mm-hmm. if you're, however you're going to approach it, I would encourage you to approach it exactly like that, to just create spaces for God to work. Um, Obviously, there's you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to invite some people and and do some thinking about well, what what should we do when we come together? You know, so there is a little bit of planning in that, but hold loosely to I guess sort of the agenda or the outcomes. You know, I, I for example, it's one of the things I love about. What Peace Catalyst does, like when we do our peace piece, um, yes, we invite certain people and uh, we get Christians and Muslims together. And yes, we have to order food and we have to figure out how many people are going to be. There's logistical stuff to be done. Mm-hmm. But really, the most important thing is just getting people in the room and, yeah. and you know, kind of priming the pump for some conversation. And then you just take your hands off the wheel. And, yeah. and it's always amazing what comes out of those conversations. And these are things you don't control and you're not directing them. Um, but you, you are suddenly aware that, wow, by creating this space and this opportunity and bringing these different people together and trusting that the Holy Spirit can, can work something in us and through us, um, that's the exciting thing. And so uh, I found that to be true many times uh, in the things that I, when I've done these kinds of gatherings. And I think that's, that's a key thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Definitely. I think, yes, I love that. And it's so important for peacemaking as Christians, because like you said, you know, it requires faith when we can put it in God's hands and and trust him. And, you know, I love how Danielle said it. She's like, you know, we're not superwomen and we can't do it all. (laughs) And and that's okay because, you know, they're taking those steps that they feel called, you know, by God to take. And then they're they're resting to. yeah. yeah. And and like you were saying, she said, you know, I can't change anyone's heart, but I can take the call. I can set up the meeting. I can do my part and allow God to do the rest. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. Again, I think that's the right approach. And 
Um, that's what, one of the things I really loved about this conversation and what I love about what they're doing. I think it's, again, one of these things where we can learn so much from them, uh, not, not just about what they're doing, but the way they're doing it. And I think it is so important to recognize, again, you can only do so much, right? We're not going to change the world ourselves, <laughs> but we can um, collaborate with the Holy Spirit, recognizing that the Holy Spirit's desire is to change people. And to change us uh, in the process, right? And so, you know, uh, you and I were talking before we hit record about uh, uh, I have a friend who used to always encourage me uh, about things like this. And he would say, you know, so like if, if I did something and I was disappointed in the outcome and, you know, it didn't happen exactly the way I wanted or, you know, I was kind of like criticizing myself for, oh, I should have done that, you know, sort of like uh, after the fact kind of, oh, I should have done this differently or that. And, and he would just say to me, did you do the best you could? And it's like, you know what, if you, no, one, no one can do more than that. If you do the best that you could do, then you did the best you could do. What else is there, right? And so um, don't beat yourself up over those kind of things like, oh, I expected this to happen or that to happen. Um, and I think that's kind of like what Daniel's talking about, this idea of like, you know, she says, you know, at the end of the day, you can only do so much. You really have to leave it in God's hands. Because really, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that changes us. Um, the Holy yeah. Spirit within us is the one that, uh, that really makes something happen. And so we can create the space, we can do our best, um, and then just trust the Holy Spirit for the outcomes. And then, you know, if it didn't happen this time, that's okay. You know, right. uh, there's always near time. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, it does, it does require more faith because I think even being like, you know, practitioners of peacemaking or whatever, we can try to come up with the perfect programming and the perfect steps and, you know, make sure you do all these things. And not to, like, diminish that and say it doesn't matter, it's not good or it's not important, but I think this is such a good reminder for us that, like, God can change hearts and and we can't, you know, we can't do that ourselves. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, follow, review, whatever you're able to do on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. And for more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org.